Hello and welcome to this latest edition of The Internationalist, Higher Education Matters, a podcast from the Association of Commonwealth Universities. I'm Natasha Locken. In this series, we're looking at the responsibility of universities to confront both the past and the present. I'm asking who gets to learn and who gets to teach in today's society where the legacy of empire is still an open and often painful issue. Universities are places of learning and places of transformation, and they have a critical role to play in creating open and fairer societies, but they also reflect the world in which they operate, and they can even reinforce inequalities. In the world-famous university city of Oxford, anger at this statue has rekindled. 2020 has seen an upsurge in calls for symbols of colonialism to be removed. There have been protests at the University of Oxford against the statue of Cecil Rhodes. And these are a continuation of protests that began at the University of Cape Town, where the statue of Rhodes was removed five years ago. Universities across the world are reflecting on what the physical environment of their campuses, the statues, the building names, actually mean in today's world. We're talking about name and face, living with the past in the present. I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Mamageti Pakeng, Vice-Chancellor of the University of Cape Town in South Africa. Welcome, Getty, and thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Natasha. And Dr. Vagashwari, Professor in the Department of International Studies, Political Science and History at Christ University in India. Hello to you, Vagashwari. Hello, Natasha. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Vagashwari, I'm going to come to you first um, to draw on your, on your background and your academic discipline as a historian. Yeah. To ask, why do you think that statues and building names really matter? Let me look at the whole issue from the context of uh, what exactly a statue means for a community or for a society. Now, one of the very important uh, points to keep in mind is that uh, statues and architecture, buildings and statues, are the most visible symbols, most tangible and visible symbols of a society's identity. And they also have the power to communicate very quickly to the onlookers. They have a power to elicit response from the onlooker. And hence, it becomes very uh, easy for state, for powers, for authorities, or even for patrons to constantly opt for uh, statues and buildings to communicate, to represent their identity, rather than maybe a soft art like painting or maybe a literary text, a written text, which do not elicit the same kind of responses from a reader or from an onlooker. So by that yardstick, even the most uninitiated and the most unread or somebody who is unaware of uh, the historicity or the the evolution of uh, identities of a, a nation or a society also kind of response to a statue or an architecture. So it, it's very, very crucial to have these. And that is why patrons prefer buildings, prefer statues, rather than commissioning a piece of art or a piece of music to be composed. So at the University of Cape Town, a hall that was named after a white colonial politician was recently renamed in honour of Sarah Bartman, a Khoikhoi woman who was enslaved in the 19th century and was taken to Europe and exhibited as a circus curiosity. Getty, reflecting on what Vagashwari just said about the importance of, of, of things like statues and names, why was this so important? Well, it was important because our choice of symbols are a part of the work of the university in shaping future leaders. 
So the symbols we choose, the names we choose, are part of that agenda of us shaping future leaders. So if we leave the names, the colonial names as they are, we are communicating something, not only to our students, but whoever comes to our campus. We're communicating what we value, we're communicating what we are proud of, we communicate the kind of leaders that we want our students to emulate. And so changing the name of uh, Great Hall to Sarah Parkman was a way to recognize our other legacy, our other people who, who occupied this land, who owned it, and it was taken from them. So, so it's, it's a way of recognizing, but also saying, this is what we value as well. That's why our symbols matter for that reason. It can be very powerful, changing the name of a building or changing the name of a street. It does send a very powerful message across in terms of what are the desirable um, priorities, what are the desirable parameters that the society uh, has in mind. So changing the name of any structure of an airport, of a street or removal of a statue and replacing it with something else, all of these are indicative of the, the changed priorities of the society and the changed thought processes of the society. However, is that right or not right is what the historians have to uh, look into. Would you like to elaborate more on this question of is it right or is it not right? These kinds of changes are required. Otherwise, we stagnate. Otherwise, we don't move forward. So these changes are very important. But then, as a historian, I'm looking at uh, the idea of are we bringing these changes by erasing our past? Are we bringing or rooting these changes on the foundations of a past that we do not want to remember, that we do not want to recall? Are we trying to completely denude the past and bring us a change over it so that our future generations do not remember from what part of the past we come from? We are what we are because of what we were. So I would very strongly argue that retain the past but build a parallel narrative to it so that we get a very clear idea our present generation and our future generation gets to know the two dimensions or multiple dimensions of the issues that exist. Otherwise, what happens? We are going to build a unilateral kind of a narrative. Getty, if I can ask you your thoughts on this idea of whether renaming, removing statues, is, is that erasing the past? So I don't think it's erasing the past. I think there's different ways you can do this. The act of renaming offers an opportunity to think deeply about what the university represents. At a particular time in history, uh, we look at our history. Of course, society is changing, the country is changing. So we pause and we ask ourselves, um, what do we represent? And how can we reinforce the values that we uphold through the naming or renaming process? So it's a, it's a moment of reflection. So it is not trivial. In fact, the history continues because the story about uh, the renaming of Jameson Hall to Sarah Barkman is part of the history. And so there will be questions about, so why was it changed? And let me say this about the, the statues. I mean, we, we don't, we, the statue of Rose was removed uh, on our campus in 2015. 
But just next to the university, there's the Rhodes Memorial. And the Rhodes Memorial has got a Rhodes statue. It's not part of the university property, but it's just next door. When I took office, we launched the Mandela School of Public Policy and Governance. And we named it the Mandela School, and we decided that we want to put up a building and, and build the Mandela Center of Memory. And our view was that we just had a, a moment where the, the statue of Rhodes was removed. And my view is that, you know, it's not always that you've got to remove the statue. My view is that the statue was removed because, in fact, when the country changed, the symbols were not considered and they were not dealt with. So you remove a statue, it's a moment of anger. But if you didn't wait for a moment of anger, you could have done something else with that space. So then we thought we, 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 we want to build the Mandela Center of Memory alongside the Rhodes Memorial. And I said to colleagues, we've got to do that now before we have anger rising to say that statue, even if it's not on our campus, let it go down. Rather, let's rise, let's make another legacy rise. So really, this is a question about, it is about history, isn't it? It's about acknowledging history and acknowledging the painful aspects of it, as well as the aspects, as you've said, that, that, that we're proud of. And I think this example of, of the Mandela Centre, it's interesting to think about different ways to do that, right? So how, how do we acknowledge this history? And this idea of a discussion is fascinating, right? The fact that there's almost like a, there's a dialogue between the symbols themselves, if you have them side by side. But but having that can then prompt an actual sort of dialogue, a verbal dialogue between people within communities. Vagashwari, do you have do you have thoughts on kind of alternative ways, I guess, to m- memorialise the past, both the good and the bad aspects? No, I would say, see, if, if we were to look at memorialising the past, the past has done that immensely and much more. For instance, it could be uh, the statue of Cecil Rhodes or it could be any any statue. When patrons put up statues, it is based on their understanding of uh, the prevailing ideas. It could be ideas and ideologies. So over a, a, a century later, we are looking at our past and we are problematizing our past based on how far we have gone ahead in our future. So what was perhaps considered as a legitimate uh, concern of, let us say, white man's burden of European colonization um, is no longer an accepted understanding of it in the post-colonial period. So I would accept with what the professor was telling that we cannot erase our past, but we can bring in a parallel understanding by bringing in, for instance, they have both the uh, Mandela, uh, you know, center as well as so. My major departure is when statues are brought down, discarded, and on the same pedestal, a new statue comes up. So the moment that gets done, a very rich part of our past gets away from the memories of collective memories of our present and future uh, generations. So that is where I have a very big problem. Here's the thing, Natasha, so we can talk about memorializing the past or we can talk about rejecting the past. And in this case, with the two legacies standing side by side, we are saying, well, we cannot wish our past away. It's here. We cannot wish it away. We don't want to lie about it or pretend it didn't happen, like Vagishwari is saying, but, but we want to ra- raise another past, right? 
Now, but the other way of doing it is actually you can do a symbolic rejection of the past. For example, we, we've been working on our vision 2030 as a university. We, we're taking it to Senate tomorrow, actually, and we hope council approves it by the end of the year. And one of the things that we're doing in our vision document is to spell Africa with the word K as a symbolic rejection of colonial usurpation of African agency. So rather than writing paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs of stating a rejection of colonial usurpation, we symbolizing it by using the letter K to spell Africa. Because we're saying through our vision 2030, we want to reclaim African identity and African agency. You've touched on something that I did want to explore, which is, I guess, how what the role of universities is specifically in this conversation. That's a great example there where through through its strategic plan, UCT is really signalling this change and it's a way to do that. I mean, I'll ask you both, but uh, Vagashwari, I'll come to you first. You know, how, how, how should universities be getting involved in this discourse? Now, my very, very, very strong thinking about this is the generation that brings this change is aware, is literally standing on the precipice of knowing where we were from and how we are going to respond. But then if we do not retain this transition from the past, which was very problematic for us and our opposition to it, if we do not build a discourse in university spaces about both of the changes, then our future generation will be recipients of only the change, but not the context in which the change came from and may not be aware. We are talking about 50 years down the line or maybe a century down the line when uh, the whole understanding of where exactly were the changes coming from and why were we protesting, you know, that part gets lost out. So universities have to keep these two dimensions of the inheritance and the response to the inheritance. Both of these must be kept a part of the university curriculum, university you know, engagement. It should be made a part of a lot of themes that the university will be bringing in through conferences, through seminars, somewhere it should be kept alive. The reasons as to why the changes came about and the, the theoretical construct into which the argument was being brought in. Now, that should be made a part of the university curriculum. Only then the next generation will realize why these changes were, uh, were brought in and, and how was the society responding to their past. So if universities do not retain this or bring in these kinds of, um, these kinds of exchanges, then a very rich part of our present responses is completely lost out. We need that. So it's this idea then that the university is, is like a guardian. It's not. It, it's a kind of a guardian of the symbols and the legacy of the, an understanding of how we've arrived at changes in symbols and that history. I, I want to pick up on this point about... I, you, go, on, go on, please. Yeah, I wouldn't call university as being just a guardian, but I would say university should facilitate a space for such discourses and such transferring of knowledges to be kept alive. I was, I was going to say that I wanted to pick up on this point because I think when we talk about these idea of spaces and I guess epistemology is kind of this idea of like knowledge systems, actually what we're talking about, I guess, is within that is students 
and the fact that it's about the way that students are interacting it's more than interacting with it's the way that it's it's how universities i guess are enabling students to think critically about these issues and to have these discussions getty would you agree is, uh, is that right is it more than that i'm not a historian i find history very interesting because history actually uh, it's not innocent we shape it we make it so actually the very act of activism against the symbols we are not proud of is the making of history. And it transforms, it, 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 it sort of builds on this that Bagishwari doesn't want us to forget, right? Now, for me, the, the, the role of the university, first of all, I think we should have, the universities should have been much more proactive about symbols. Way before students started saying they must go down, we are places of ideas. These debates come up, but we are not always as proactive to do something, right? Now, we were not, and the statue came down at the moment of activism. Now the statue of Rhodes is down. So what? The students, on the other hand, the students who left the Rhodes must fall and the peace must fall, challenged us and said, we want to start a scholarship, a scholarship on polism. Uh, activism of polism and so on. So I said to colleagues, we've got to think creatively about this moment in the life of the university and the country, and in many ways, higher education in the world. And so we, we are planning, we are working on a bigger project. Uh, we've already approved the scholarship. We're thinking creatively about how we draw on the statue of roads. We don't want it to be somewhere in the dark. In a way, we're doing what Bagishwari is saying, because when you, when you recognize that moment, not only the moment of, of roads taking the land, but the moment of roads falling, and then some meaning arising from that, what do you build, right? What do you build from there? And, and my view is that we can do something very powerful. So now I think as places of ideas, it is our role as universities to, to be creative and think of these opportunities. What, how do you preserve history? How do you preserve legacies? How do you build on them? How do you create something more powerful out of them rather than stop at the moment of anger? As you say, it's not, this isn't the end. It's, it's, it's a milestone in a journey that continues. Vagashwara, you spoke about the fact that in India, whole cities have changed, changed names. I mean, it's, it's one example of the kind of change that's come about. Could you comment on what you think this, the consequences have been and subsequent actions and whether, whether you've seen this trajectory of these moments that happen and then the change that follows as a result? Most of our uh, cities, for instance, in India, their names were anglicised quite a lot. If one looks at Bengaluru, the colloquial uh, name is Bengaluru, but then it was um, anglicised into Bangalore. The same thing with Kaligatta, it was renamed as Calcutta by uh, the British um, you know, colonial administration. So there are a lot of such transformations that happened. And almost for the first, I would say, the first four or five decades of being free from colonial control, uh, you know, the post-colonial period, we were not very deeply worried about reclaiming our um, lost past, literally. So the, the trend of renaming began almost from around 90s, approximately. So, for instance, uh, Bombay was renamed Mumbai. 
then uh, very recently bangalore was renamed bengaluru so there is a very strong response to the colonial identities framing our thought processes these are new ways of creating our own histories these are new ways of reclaiming something that we were proud of and we lost out in in between so we need these kinds of activism to create and carve out or um, carve out specific niches for our own identities for our own existence my only concern is it has come to one or the other kind of an option we are unable to straddle both the worlds and create a discourse on that which is what the next generation needs you know like santana who says uh, the generation which forgets its past is condemned to repeat it that brings me to my final question which i will ask both of you is i guess we've spoken about what what the symbols are what they were what they could be what i'm interested in is who gets to decide that so vagashwari i'll come to you first who do you think should be involved in those decisions now given what we're trying to achieve primarily it is the academic who needs to be involved because for the simple reason that an academic is a recipient of the legacy of the past and is also poised enough to understand where the new changes is going to take us to so it cannot be anybody other than an academic who has that strength of theorizing at the same time translating these theories into an understandable um and comprehensible um you know symbols representations in public domain and to a certain extent or to i would say to a very large extent the historian the political scientist the philosophers are to be made a part of this um this whole process they are the ones who are blessed enough and who have the strength by by the virtue of training that they receive uh, throughout their lives that they are the ones who are able to bring in this uh, all of these exchanges onto a single platform getty your thoughts please you know i th- i think it should be the university community and the university community includes students staff both academic admin as well as uh, alumni who actually own the university and also members of the community who are not who haven't studied but are in the land that university is, is is occupying because we we occupy the university now but the land where the university stands has got history the people who own the land most of them can't even access the university so this is in a small way a way to say this university is in the community it belongs to the community as much as the the community is in the university a way to bring the two together to actually um uh, strengthen the reconciliation is to bring the community together so we have a a naming of buildings committee that includes all these different constituencies that is chaired by a member of council and and proposals for renaming of buildings so whatever comes to that committee and they are considered even the naming the renaming of jameson hall to sarah bartman wasn't trivial it took a long time because even after the committee has suggested uh, uh, agree on a name we published that in the university community for people to send their comments objections and whatever they get considered uh, once it's agreed then we we had to bring members of the 
Koi and Sun community. And I understand that academics might want to have sole ownership of this process because they're scholars, but doing that actually gives an impression that the university is uh, innocent in this whole, whole history of oppression and colonization. And the university is not innocent. The university is very much complicit. Inclusivity is part of our big agenda. Transformation and inclusive, it's part of our big agenda. And that's why the, this process goes that way. And it's not easy at all, Natasha, I can tell you, even mm. as I say this, but we've got to walk the journey. If we don't, whatever we do will not be sustainable. That was a really fascinating discussion. I think it was for me, this idea of, applied history almost that you're talking about you know history not just being in books not just being about the past not just about looking back but looking forward and I was really really struck by just how visible these symbols are and how much they tell us about a nation's identity and also what's missing or what's been rejected as well and I think one of the key points is this idea of a journey that this isn't it's not as simple as rise and fall or you know a, a name change it's about it's about a journey. It's about understanding that journey and how we got to where we are now, but also understanding that there's further to go in the future. I'd like to thank our guests for today. Professor Mamogeti Pakeng, Vice-Chancellor of the University of Cape Town in South Africa, and Dr Vagashwari, Professor of the Department of International Studies, Political Science and History at Christ University in India. Thank you both. Our next episode is going to look at relationships between universities in the Global South and the Global North. What does a fairer future for international collaboration look like? I hope you found this episode of The Internationalist, Higher Education Matters Valuable. The Association of Commonwealth Universities is committed to highlighting the issues that influence learning and teaching in our world. Please do subscribe to the series wherever you get your podcasts and like, comment and share the programme. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. Just search for the Association of Commonwealth Universities. Thank you for joining me, Natasha Locken. The producer is Lindsay Riley, executive producer Richard Myron, and it's an Earshot Strategies production. Mm-hmm.